Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And I'm Alex Wilcock. Welcome aboard, Alex. Nice to have you back. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. It's our pleasure. Well, we are into Series 2 of The Avengers from 1962. And from this point in, all of the TV episodes exist on film. So we can dispense... Hooray! Hooray indeed. We can dispense with the audio. Now, Series 2 is where uh, things started changing very, very slightly and moving more towards the Avengers that most people are familiar with. But we're going to kick off with Episode 1, which is Mr. Teddy Bear. This was written by Martin Woodhouse and it was produced on Saturday the 4th of August 1962 and transmitted on the 29th of September 1962 at various times in the regions between 10.05 and 10.30. It also went out for the first time in Australia, in Sydney and Melbourne. That was at half past seven. That was in 1963 and 64 respectively. Dr. Exton, do you have a pracy for us? I do, um, and uh, the pracy, again, is from Dave Rogers' The Ultimate Avengers, which oddly has a completely different order for the episodes that isn't in transmission order. I don't really understand why. But anyway, anyone who can pay enough can hire Mr. Teddy Bear for a contract killing. After the public murder of Wayne Gilly, Mrs. Gale does just that. She employs the killer to assassinate John Steed. However, the trap misfires and Mr. Teddy Bear lures Kathy into his clutches instead. Enter Steed, whom the killer believes to have been disposed of, to ruffle Mr. Teddy Bear's fur. Matron. Faced with certain capture, the professional assassin chooses suicide. If it's safely possible, tell the truth. Naturally. Well, Mr. Teddy Bear has got an eye on you. We must know, for instance, that you've met me several times the last few days, but there's no harm in that. Just admit it, you know. All right. Oh, and don't get any spectacular ideas. If we thought we could get Mr. Teddy Bear when he first met you, we'd be behind you with a platoon of infantry. But he's a professional all the way up to the tips of his furry ears. So forget about concealing six shooters in your stocking tops. I wonder if you're right. If it wouldn't be better to make our grab now before it's had time to... No, it wouldn't. Just do as I say. Now, there George... might not be a second chance. Oh, well, well. If there isn't, it'll be your funeral, won't it? Do we have any notable alumni in this, or is it... Well, Michael Robbins played Richard Mace in The Visitation. He was Rudge in On the Buses, uh, Throttle in Fairly Secret Army, and will will turn up twice more in The Avengers. Kenneth Keeling, um, who lasts about three seconds into the episode, will turn up again in The Avengers. And John Horsley will turn up again in The Avengers, uh, played Sir Ralph Shawcross in Urang, Lord, Bishop of Tatchester in Box of Delights, Superintendent Whitelaw in Shadow Squad, uh, turns up in loads and loads of ITC stuff, Out of the Unknown and Out of This World. Well, because we have a guest with us this week, Alex, I'm going to turn to you first. What did you think of this one? I think it's cracking. It wasn't by quite some way the first made with uh, Honor Blackman, but you can absolutely see why they moved it up to first for transmission. Because um, you've got the black leather, you've got the fights, you've got a really interesting character and also a very different character to Steed. They're really pinging off each other very well. And you've got her having more rectitude than Steed, but not ha- not the slightly pious bit that Dr. Keel sometimes had. And you've got a really interesting villain who's a lot of fun and has has lots of weird things that he's doing. So I think this is uh, uh, this is a lot of fun. It's a big step up. 
it's the first time we've seen an actual, honest-to-goodness, diabolical mastermind, isn't it? Absolutely. I think it is, actually, yes. Um, I mean, actually, I disagree with what Ken said about it uh, it very slowly changing in season two. I think season two is quite a a significant change from season one. Um, You do get the diabolical masterminds. You do get the more whimsical plots, like talking to an animatronic teddy bear. You do get the more science fiction-y things, like an automated house. Um, so I, I think that that's quite a significant difference between season two episodes, season one episodes. I think that's a really good point, Simon. I think the the automated house is one of the things that gets my attention because although it's written by uh, by Martin Woodhouse, I think season two is is the only one that Brian Clemens didn't work on, or at least isn't credited with working on. And this feels very much like he was watching and went, "Oh yeah, we can do that." Because particularly the automated house is. And the the voyeuristic element is something that Clemens brings in in quite a big way later. But there are elements, without spoilers, which which it has in common with the following year's season opener, and obviously the diabolical mastermind. It's it's kind of a oh yeah, this is uh, this is interesting. I can see where it's going places, but also particularly with Clemens, who's going to become such a big figure in the Avengers to come. Well, the uh, the notable shift in surrealism comes when Kathy Gale goes into the house, and she's interviewed by a teddy bear, and I think that was the that's the first sort of smack you in the face. This is a little bit different, and that's the first thing that that hit me was that she sat there opposite a, an animatronic teddy bear, telling her to take a cigarette from the box, which I noticed she just palms, despite the fact that everything can be seen that's going on. She lifts this quite a big cigarette box, and gets away with it. Except that it's got chimpanzee fingerprints all over it, so it, it's something that he was expecting him to do. And I have to say... They didn't manage to find her fingerprints all over the thing, considering well, she picked it up. But presumably they do have her elimination prints on file. I would have thought they'd have wiped out every other print on there. I was watching the way she picked it up. Well, she didn't go bang, bang, bang over every... Oh, every I don't bit. know, anyway. And she did put it in her coat... Pretty much immediately. Anyway, what I was going to say about that is that Steve's actually really dismissive of her, which is a, a very sensible and sensible thing to do. When he comes out with that, with the, oh, it's chimpanzee fingerprints, he's pissing himself laughing at, at her. Um, and he, he does at one point say, oh, well, I, I would have done that better. No, it's wrong. And she doesn't actually work for the department. She's just a friend or friend with benefits who comes along and, and helps him out. And at that point, I think an awful lot of people would say, well, if you can do it better, off you fucking do it better then. Mrs. Gale, a friend with benefits in that day and age? I don't think so. That, that never went on. Well, I think the production team just <laughs> kind of assumed that it did. Um, and with, <laughs> with later interviews with, with Honor Blackman, she was saying, that, well, that was the way that we assumed their relationship mm. was. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Patrick McNee... He's totally in control. He was. Uh, I've always thought that Patrick McNee was the lead in series one, even though really it was designed as a vehicle for Ian Hendry. But in this, he hits the ground running. He is front and centre, and he's totally in control. Everything's every line is delivered with that slightly sort of uh, upturned smile and um, not taking things particularly seriously. He's impeccably dressed throughout, and at this point we're still interchanging the trilby and the bowler. The bowler hasn't settled into the de facto weapon of choice yet. Well, you talk about impeccably dressed throughout. One of the things that entertains me about this one, knowing more about Patrick McNee as a person, 
Uh, I mean, I, I dress badly. I just stick on a T-shirt and jeans and stand at the back hoping no one will notice me. But in terms of I wish I had that confidence, looking at Patrick McNeil's steed, he has these fantastic suits. And you think, oh, I wish I had the money and the confidence to wear these gorgeous array of suits. And Simon, you were at our wedding and you, uh, you can probably tell where we were inspired for our wedding suits. But, and it worked extremely well, and you both looked gorgeous. Thank you. The other thing that I that I, I love about Patrick McNeil is that he is my favourite celebrity naturist, um, and <laughs> and that's that's much easier to do. And unless you want to go the whole the whole hog and have Patrick's uh, uh, mansion in Beverly Hills to play tennis and roam around the grounds, which but otherwise that's a cheaper way of dressing as Patrick McNee. And this is one of the ones that I always find entertaining because it is um, here we have Patrick McNee getting his kit off um, um, in a big way. So so if you want a little scintilla of Patrick our celebrity naturist, this is one of your episodes. How many other celebrity naturists are are there? Because I only know him and Christopher Atkins. I don't know, but I know I know this one because it's Patrick McNee, and know. obviously. Uh, moving on to the actual production itself, this is a a lovely film print. In it's a, a film recording of a, a videotape. It's in fairly good nick, and there are a few dropouts on the original videotape recording, which uh, every now and again you get sparkles on this, uh, particularly when there's a couple of camera changes. There's a very bad dropout, and that's that's just a result of the machinery at the time. So you can assume that Series 1 looked fairly similar technically. I noticed there's a lot of music cues reused from uh, Season 1. Because of the three and a bit surviving episodes, there's familiar stings and cues that are used, and they're reused in this. But then you come on to things like the casting itself. The series just starts, there's no explanation given for the absence of Dr. Keel, and Honor Blackman's given photo billing in every episode of the season, whether she's in it or not. And I have to be honest, my headcanon of the Avengers is that at the end of season one, Dr. Keel went off to actually train as an agent, with or without Carol in tow. Is that referenced in Too Many Targets at all? I can't remember. It's a very long time Mm. since I listened to Too Many Targets. He is in that, and I can't remember how he crops up in that. Because 110, I notice, plays a much bigger role in this. 110 was a a character peppered throughout the first series as a a background boss, but he, he never really played a massive part. In this, it's ramped up, and it's very much more, uh, it's given a feel of an organisation now, rather than just Steed randomly turning up and enlisting the local doctor. Or things happening to land in the local doctor's lap Mm. because he's the local doctor and he's someone that people would go to if they've got a knife wound or something and then he gets involved in whatever has befallen them. And Cathy is going to have such a wide range of skills as well. Uh, Are you talking future tense there? Um, well, and actually yeah. in this episode as well. Uh, yes, to be fair. I mean, it's never explained where she's come from or who she is. She's just there. And I get the feeling that season two is where it, it's a bit of a movable feast and they're finding their feet with several different companions uh, over... Is it the first half of series two? Bear in mind, I've not seen any of these yet. I think Dr. King is three episodes all clustered very closely at the beginning of the season. Yes, Cle- that's right. And clearly they're episodes where the story only works if the second character is a doctor. Um, so they have a replacement Dr. Keel for those three. They've got a replacement Carol in the in the guise of Judy. 
but he's not taken any further and I suspect was never intended to be taken any further. Mm. It was just a convenient character to mop up those scripts they already had. I believe the original plan was for a number of different assistants, Venus being the first one that was brought in and Venus didn't work terribly well. Mm. She's only in six of the episodes and then after that it's all Kathy. But Venus's episodes are scattered throughout the series. Uh, Steve Danosi still has a dog, and as we've said so many times before, he is the least suitable person to own a dog, uh, because he's never bloody there, and every time the dog appears, he just palms it off on somebody else. It's uh, This time, I'm fairly sure in the first series it was a Great Dane, but in this series it's a Dalmatian called Freckles, you know, an equally big dog that he's just not in to look after or take for walks or things. He does have a Great Dane later on, and it becomes the centrepiece of one of the episodes. It's uh, later in series two. Okay. And uh, then it's redone I, as the £50,000 breakfast in series five? Five, yeah. Uh, I, I have to say, I, I love, Ken, listening to your slow ruminative um, <laughs> uh, st- style of speaking because my brain filled in an extra bit, a bit like those two Ronnie sketches, uh, where, where, where one starts a sentence and the other keeps finishing it for him. And when you said, Steed is the least suitable person to, and I thought, actually, you could do that every episode. You could, <laughs> Ken could say, Steed is the least suitable person to, and you could finish it with so many options. I think one of them is be an undercover agent because he just can't be asked. It's just, <laughs> my name's, um, oh, fuck it, it's John Steed. I'm a, I work for, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really a waiter. I'm, uh, I'm undercover, but do tell me everything, my dear. Just can't be asked going undercover. One of the notable uh, guest cast is Michael Robbins, and I'm tempted to use the quote: "Didn't that guy ever have hair?" Even here, which is uh, early '60s, he's thinning badly. It happens. Yeah, you're looking at a man that it happened to quite severely. <laughs> Uh, And one final note I've got is that Brunton Street crops up as an address again. And the last time it did, it was a brothel in Toy Trap. I am nothing if not anal about my facts. I'm wondering if it was the producer's mother-in-law lived lived there and he just wanted to keep mentioning it in as insalubrious way as he could. (laughs) The first victim, when he's killed, he's not good. He he kind of comes across as one of the Graham Chapman Monty Python characters. (laughs) And when he falls down dead, he's still moving his eyes around all over the place. Uh, yes. I'm glad I wasn't the only one to notice. And the final thing is when Kathy is being briefed and they're talking about somebody who's supposed to be her contact and they describe them as having a, a slight Welsh accent. And then when they listen to it, the only way it could be more Welsh is if Telford Thomas had been playing it. I, I did like the slight Welsh accent. And then you play the tape and it's all yucky da. It's, it couldn't be more well in if uh, they tried. Alex, do you have any final thoughts before we rate this? Well, I I love the line, um, which I think is is a great line, but in a way inappropriate, and I'll come to why. When Mrs. Gale says, uh, you have a surprising faith in gentlemen's agreements, Mr. Teddy Bear, but you may have noticed I'm not a gentleman. And that's a terrific line, but I think one of the... One of the interesting things about the Avengers is that Kathy is much more gentlemanly than Steed in, in her own way, in that particularly with Kathy, but with some of the other Avengers women as well, the only rule she tends to break is her gender. And otherwise she's very straight and honest, whereas Steed breaks every rule going and is just very naughty. But I love that line. 
Uh, I'm forced to agree. Kathy is a very tangible shift in the companion from Dr. Keel. And I'm... It takes a bit of getting used to having got used now to Dr. Keel, even though I've obviously seen uh, future episodes of The Avengers. I've had 26 weeks of Dr. Keel, and I've got quite used to him. And so to have this completely different sidekick, and she's so bloody frosty. I mean, there's no warmth in Kathy, really. Uh, Even when Steed's doing his charming gentleman whimsy, she's having none of it. When he's twatting about on the piano, trying to play, I can't remember what it is now, is it Bach or Beethoven? It's something, some piece, he's playing finger by finger. She's just not remotely amused by his jollity. It's just, let's get on with the work, please. And I suspect that carries on. That's, uh, is that the Honor Blackman character? Well, if Steed is continuously saying thing, things to criticise what she's doing, and I could have done that so much better as well. So. Hello, Mr. Mars. Shall we rate this in Mastermind, gentlemen? <laughs> Uh, we shall start with our honoured guest. Alex, how many out of five would you give this? Oh, well, I, you, you know that I'm I'm flaky on masterminds, so I'm going to do the same thing again, which is uh, in terms of the whole of the Avengers, I would say this is a four because it's very good, but it's not quite top tier. But in terms of season two, this is a five because it is a big step forward and it is not just a big step forward over season one, but compared to a lot of season two, this is one of the best. I'm going to steam in and give it a four. I do like the step up. It all feels a little bit more tightened up. And I do like it. Much as I've enjoyed season one, I really, really did. This is all nuts and bolts, just given that little oil, that grease. The engine's running fine now. We know what we're doing. We've hammered out the organisation and how all the characters are. I do like this as an, as an evolutionary step forward. I suspect at the time it was a bit of a shock to some people because it was different from the setup in the first series. But no, a, a good start going forward, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series. Right. I'm going to jump on the bandwagon and say that I really like the fact that it's a a big step up, getting more towards the Avengers that we're going to come on to in later years. There's more whimsy to it. There's the science fiction elements to it. There's the diabolical mastermind element to it. But the relationship between Steed and Kathy hasn't really properly matured yet. They're still quite frosty to each other. The outside filming looks terrible compared to the studio stuff, and that that really jarred. It's a fall from me. I, I enjoyed it, but I know it can be better. Well, we've got lots of visual treats now. I am I'm sad to say goodbye to Series 1 because I have loved the audio adventure. No, I wasn't. Yes, we're two different sides of the coin, Dr. Exton, but we are completely now in vision from this moment onwards. And if that's the standard that I can look forward to visually, certainly from this series, I'm really looking forward to the ride. Yeah. And when I say I I wasn't sad to see see the back of season one, it's not because I think Big Finish have done a bad, a bad job. I don't. I think they've done an excellent job. Uh, fairly clearly. I hold it, hold it, go on. <laughs> I have some differences of opinion about how extensive a job that should have been, which is an argument we're not going to go back into. Um, But what they've done, they've done brilliantly. And certainly when we did Tunnel of Fear, the big Finnish audio is more entertaining than the actual episode. Mm. Yeah, Um, agreed. Yeah, we've said this. So I'm not saying I'm glad to see the back of it because I thought the big Finnish was bad. I'm glad to see the back of it because the the video is so much better. But that's no slight on big Finnish. But I'm going to sign us off now. We will be back next week when we're watching episode two, which is Propellant 23. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. Would you like to come back for a few more episodes of this series? Oh, yes, please.
then uh, we'll send you a list of things to watch and we'll have you back in a few weeks' time. We so, could be polite and ask Alex what you would like to watch. Yes, which ones, which ones would you like to watch that are upcoming? Send us a list. I will send you a list. Boys and girls, we'll be back next week. Thank you very much, as ever, for listening. Ta-ta. Bye now. And it's good night from me. They'll be back. You can depend on it. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. With thanks to Studio Canal, Piers Johnson and Dave Rogers. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee. And the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.